0: now we want to share something special with our listeners introducing lit and lit extra the new hot sauce IEX just created we're calling it the official unofficial hot sauce of the stock market it's a perfect blend of spice and high performance flavor you'll definitely want to get your hands on some you can check it out at iextrading.com podcast to get your fix while supplies last or tag us at IEX and let us know how you like it Welcome everybody to the latest episode of Boxes and Lines. Over to you, Johnny.
1: Welcome to Boxes and Lines and to take a <laughs> lash from Healthy Markets.
0: So what that means in accents, English is Yeah, I think the accent's getting better. Actually. I don't know. I don't know. Did anyone pick up on who our special guest is? Our special guest is ty Galush, but um, it sounded like when john said it but ty Galush from healthy markets welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining us ty
2: excellent i all of a sudden want some lucky charms but i'm ready <laughs> yes, yes.
0: oh no now the guests are digging me jesus Magically <laughs> delicious anyway don't yeah, th- usually right. Ty, what we do at the beginning is just get a little background on the guest and you, you you've had a you know a pretty loaded background love to understand that and ty is the executive director currently of healthy markets and maybe what is healthy markets and kind of what's the space you've carved out for yourself?
2: Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for, thanks for having me guys. Uh, a couple of things. So I'm a securities lawyer by training. Uh, did the, did the uh, New York thing for a while, uh, went down to, to, to DC uh, and worked in the, the Senate uh, permanent subcommittee on investigations as, as well as for the personal office for a Senator and did it did a little while at the sec as well. And one of the things I would say is healthy markets came out of some of those experiences. I was working on the Dodd-Frank Act or um, as well in you know March of, uh, and April and May of 2010, think of the May 6th flash crash, yep. spending a lot of time thinking about what do we want the markets to look like. And one of the things that I remember back then is for every meeting we had with the buy side, we had 10 or 20 meetings with the sell side. Mm. And when the flash crash happens and we're trying to figure out what's going on and people are worried about the stability and the integrity of the markets and trying to get big buy side institutions to talk to us was a hard thing to do. And then the next step was getting them to be able to say something on the record was nearly impossible. Mm. And it's a lot of it was because they didn't feel like they, they themselves had a really good understanding of how the plumbing of the markets worked. And so that sort of stuck with me. And so in in 2015, frankly, my my boss from the Senate retired. And I had to find a real job. And so I thought, hey, I I have this interest in helping investors. And I've I matched up with someone who had once been my my former counsel in, in Chris Nagy and someone else I'd worked with in Dave Lauer. And we we sat down and we said, let's let's try to figure out if we can be sort of the eyes, ears, and maybe even the voice uh, of investors, institutional investors in these markets. And so we launched in, in September, 2015, with just five firms. We're now over 22. And we focused on things like water routing incentives. If you remember 2015, I don't know if you remember this, Ronan, there was this thing called Flash Boys came out in 2014. There was some No idea in, what you're talking about. I have heard
1: about yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: There's some, there was some stuff back then. No my fucking idea. My, yeah, <laughs> my boss had a hearing you might remember too. Uh, I think the guy you know even, even was there and uh, in 2014. And so back then we were talking about, you know, order routing incentives and best execution and what it means for the markets. And we obviously haven't gone very far because here we are again doing it now. Mm -hmm. And, but we were, so you know, our organization was started to to start working on dark pools and order routing incentives and the transaction fee pilot. And since then we've gained some traction, we've gotten some rules and, but one of the things I think we're seeing right now with, with GameStop and all the issues falling out of that is we we've got a lot more to do
1: well we we wanted to ask you about that but up uh, to your point about um so so people know ty and i have known each other for a while Worked together at the sec when you were working for uh kara stein um, this is when john brags that he worked at the sec yeah once i again. did you, yeah yeah i once was uh yeah you may have heard of the little, little role, role of acting role of role of of trading of the and markets trading and markets all right brennan um so anyway we um but but my perception is the same of yours, Ty. When when I was in that seat, um, you know, the parade of sell side people that you have coming in on kind of like a rotating basis is sort of uh, never ending, um, and I sort of felt like there was a real need to hear uh, directly from institutional investors. It is just very rarely that you did, uh, and so there were. I think there really was a uh, a hole to fill, a real need in terms of. Um, and I have to say. Uh, you and Healthy Markets have been hugely impactful and helpful in terms of giving that voice um, to this community on a whole host of issues, um, and as a result, I think that community is um, has a a much louder and more meaningful um, voice on a whole lot of issues than they used to.
2: Oh, thanks, John. That's really nice. Uh,
1: oh, all the, said, all you, sudden, you,
2: whining chocolates. Uh, but <laughs> One of of the things I think you you make me you make me think of a story and I remember and this is 2010 and it happened again in 11 and happened again in 12. And I remember as I was doing, uh, by the way, I was I was pushing very hard. One of the things that John may remember is I was pushing very, very hard from the Senate side for what would become the consolidated audit trail, maybe someday. Um, And so one of the things that I remember is. I would meet with. I would beg to meet with buy-side firms. So I'm in a Senate office. My boss, by the way, had the subpoena power. So we could we could make people come if we had to. And one of the things that we would do is I would ask people to come. And some of the largest buy-side firms would come in with the same outside legal counsel or the same lobbyist. And only again when when sort of forced to be there. But they would come in with the same lobbyist or the same outside counsel who had just been in ten times prior for some of the HFT firms um, and some of the other firms with very divergent business models. And what I thought was really stunning to me is it was the exact same person with the exact same talking points with the completely opposite perspective. And I thought, I don't quite understand how this works because I'm mm-hmm. not sure your interests are ideologically aligned. And so mm-hmm. that is where I thought for me, the opportunity was, is because, you know, again, wonderful lobbying firms, wonderful outside counsel, very informed. But I just thought if if a trillion dollar asset manager and a, a, a whole slew of, of high frequency trading firms have the exact same opinion on what I would think would be the exact opposite viewpoints, um, it raised some questions to me.
1: Well, that's the great thing about being a lawyer is that you can argue any point you want as long as you get paid. I mean, that's the, uh, that's the game. Right? <laughs> that, that's, that's John's role
0: in this yeah. place. So uh, I'm not, So it's 2021, Ty. I'm not sure if you saw, but our very own John Ramsey posted a blog the other day um, where he sort of speculates a little bit on the SEC agenda for 2021. And for those uh, listeners who are not you know, really into the weeds on uh, U.S. equities and the SEC itself. Uh, just to let you know, generally new president, we have a new head of the SEC commission and w- there will be a new head of trading and markets at some on, point. On, on the way, not confirmed yet, but on, on the job, yes. Hot off the press, maybe by the mm-hmm, time mm-hmm. this podcast comes out. But in any case, John had sort of outlined and I'd say you're probably pretty aligned on some of these things. Some of the, some of Some of his thoughts for 2021. Not sure if you had a chance to review that, but I'm curious on... What you think, from your perspective, the SEC agenda will be, should be, um, particularly from your viewpoint, representing your clients? No. Well, look,
2: I, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, so first thing off is uh, I'm going to break it into three segments. One is equities. And I think the equities discussion is going to be dominated essentially by the GameStop fallout. Mm. That is a bogey. I think going in before, let's just say three months ago, uh. uh someone by the name of Gary Gensler was probably thinking, Hey, he might be nominated for sec chair. And he was probably thinking of what are the things I want to focus on? He knew he was going to have to focus on order routing incentives because there was a fee pilot and there's a lot of issues there. He knew he was going to have to focus on the SIPs and market data issues. Again, carryovers from prior the prior sec, but he probably didn't think he was going to have to be digging in on all of these things, equities. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna set aside for a minute the all things GameStop, and say all you know those all things GameStop are gonna take a lot of oxygen um, on, on the SEC's agenda. I think what if you'd asked him back then what he wanted to have on his agenda are two things: one, all things ESG. And so when you know if you look at the President Biden's build back better that is the broad economic policy it focuses on climate change worker power and racial uh, racial justice those are three big things that are going to trickle their way through every government agency and that was a top priority for the SEC and we're actually seeing that now under acting chair Lee she's taken a ton of actions on companies have to disclose more, investment advisors are gonna have to review things differently. So that was probably coming in, going to be the top priority. I say this not because it's gonna be necessarily terribly impactful on the plumbing of the equity markets, but I say that because it's a competing priority and it is the lens through which what gets done in the public equity markets is going to be um, a challenge and sort of timing wise um, with that. And to the extent that their interests may be aligned, which I think we can talk about in a minute, we're going to see thing, equity market structure reforms adopted under the auspices of this is pro-ESG. And then we'll also fix income trading. You know, We have more corporate debt outstanding than ever before in history, more starting to trade electronically. And I think you know uh, Chairman Gensler, particularly with his background, both at Goldman, youngest partner in the history of Goldman Sachs, but also his time at the CFTC, he's going to be very cognizant of those issues. So- I'm now, if it's all right, I'll dig in maybe a little bit to what I see with the GameStop, like what that means, because I think it's going to be very relevant to to you guys.
1: Yeah, no, I I would really like to hear your thoughts on that Uh, in part. um, So obviously a lot of discussion about uh, incentives generally, payment for order flow practices, et cetera. And the guy you you used to work for, Carl Levin, uh, wrote a very interesting op-ed not so long ago, um, specifically about those issues. Uh, so even before GameStop became a thing, uh, people were talking about th- these issues. Yeah. So the first and foremost, Hey, this looks like market
2: manipulation, right? Like when you see distorted stock price values, when nobody in good faith is saying this stock is worth $400, but Hey, let's make it $400. Cause to the moon, Alice, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> we have to start thinking about, uh, what is manipulation mean? Because if this isn't a problem, then it should be, right? Um, Because people's retirements and life savings depend on these things. And companies getting funded, efficient allocation of capital, you know, the purpose of capitalism depends on it. And so I think the SEC and FINRA are going to spend a lot of time on that. Along with that, they're going to spend a lot of time on things like gamification, you know, investing five bucks. I've got a 16-year-old babysitter who is trading single call option (laughs) in AMC. Mm this is nuts. And so yeah. you know, I remember, I remember being outside counsel for a very large investment advisor that had a broker dealer. And I applied for an options account. And after two weeks, I gave up. I was their outside legal counsel. Mm-hmm. Now I could apply on, on some you know, broker dealers and I can get options approval in five minutes or less. And I'm not going to say 15, 15 minutes or 15% or any of that no. shit. I'm just going <laughs> to blow myself yeah. up. Yeah babysitter uh, probably
1: made a lot more from amc than she did from your babysitting fees but or maybe yeah not. yeah
2: yeah i think she I, I think actually i think she lost it because she converted that into um, some uh, a couple of stock positions that she bought a gme on, <laughs> on so maybe those maybe those are coming back i don't know if she yeah. sold out yet mm-hmm. so but we have some of that the, obviously the payment for order flow and creating the incentives for this system and we're going to talk a lot about that in a second but we also have other stuff like broker capital. We had a couple of big broker dealers scramble to raise money. Robinhood raised $3.4 billion over the course of, a, of basically a day and a half, which is more than they ever raised. Yeah. And they did it to meet a margin call. And a number, a number of other broker dealers stopped trading and you know couldn't function. Robinhood's not even a member of an exchange. Um, so we have, we have a bunch of things we have to think about how, how can they keep routing orders to the marketplace? You know, how much capital do they need? Does the SEC's broker capital rules need to be updated? Trade settlement cycle got thrown out there. Guess what guys, we're going to T plus one. We're going to be doing it by 2023 plan accordingly. Um, I don't think there's any resistance to that. So we're going to see those things now. Um, we're we're going to see short selling disclosures, you know, from long and, and, um, Mm. and short uh, disclosure reforms, 13F reforms. I think those are all the low-hanging fruit. But the big one- uh, Although
1: being- some of that's also being opposed by uh, parts of the hedge fund community, right? They would- they, they, they Right. Yeah.
2: Look, Jay Clayton just proposed the exact opposite. Jay Clayton proposed mm-hmm. pulling back long disclosures um, from large funds. And I think we're going to see a lot of discussion about expanding uh, institutional investors' disclosure- yeah. To cover things like equity swaps and to cover short positions, and I think mm-hmm. that is to me a, an extremely likely outcome. Obviously, mm-hmm. politically fraught with peril and all of those wonderful things, but it is actually explicitly authorized by the Dodd Frank Act, and so I would think that it could it, it is likely to happen. Um, but payment for workflow, look, this is near and dear to your heart. Simple question: every 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 investor ought to know. Is my broker looking out for getting me the best prices or are they looking out for their own bottom line? And that's an institutional problem, it's a retail problem. And I think that this episode gives us an opportunity and gives the commission an opportunity to really dig in and understand that the same incentive structure is broken in both places. The same thing that gave rise to investors demand, my members demands, your interest in the transaction fee pilot is the same conflict of interest that is created this weird bifurcated system where we pretend that best execution is nothing like what the rule says it is for retail investors, right? We say best execution is get yourself the best, you know, get your customers the best prices. And instead we have a system where it says, hey, you only have to do slightly better than the best available protected quote on the exchange. And we're gonna, by the way, siphon off a bunch of orders from the exchange. So that best available protected quote is likely a wider spread than it would be otherwise. And by the way, it's gonna make that, that, uh, that quote likely be more volatile um, than it would mu- otherwise be. Uh, we're likely going to increase your trading costs if you're an institutional investor because it's more, uh, it's less stable and less supported. Hey, we're going to do all of that, um, but we're going to give you a hundredth of a penny a share in price improvement. Like, we all know that's garbage, right? I mean, and retail investors don't know. So we're going to say, you know, I think it's my favorite thing is, hey you know, Robinhood says half their order, you know, half of their, more than half their revenues comes from payment for order flow. And more than half of that comes from their options, payment for order flow. And yet their, you know, median account size is 240 bucks. What the hell market did we just create? Right.
1: Well, <laughs> now on the other side, I'm not saying I'm necessarily making the argument on the other side, but uh, people will argue that, um, uh, and, and by many measures it's true, uh, individual investors, um, have all kinds of options. They have the ability to, um, uh, trade commission-free for the first time. They have mm-hmm. all kinds of options in terms of the kinds of platforms and the ease of access to the market is easier mm-hmm. than it's ever been before. And by both, by, by many measures and perhaps, uh, perceptions of many retail investors, um, uh, investing is as easy as it's ever been. And they feel like, um, they are, uh, they're being, uh, you know, their, their interests are being served. Um, so how do we, um, it raises tricky questions in terms of how, how we evaluate what a different world would look like if those practices didn't exist. Right. Cause we just, we don't know a couple, well, there's some things
2: we do know, right? Like, first off, we do know we've made it easier. Technology has made it easier to trade more complex, more leveraged things more quickly and easily than ever before. I can trade options on my cell phone at a traffic light is not something that you would normally be thinking of. And my 16-year-old babysitter evidently does that. <laughs> um, So let's be clear, that we know happens. We also know then a lot of the order flow isn't, isn't in the public markets. We have more than half of, 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 of trading now uh, at times is, is off exchange. And I think that's obviously terrible if the idea is you want an efficient market with as many market participants in one place, or even if at different exchanges, but in generally one system, and we don't have that. Uh, But we've also have to think about, you know, you, you said, are the are the interests of the retail customer well served? Well, look, I will argue the beneficiaries of CalPERS are also retail customers. Uh, it's not just the guy with an E-Trade account or my 16 year old babysitter. I also think the millions of beneficiaries of the pension funds, state and local pension funds around the country also, uh, deserve to be treated. And frankly, typically have lower income, uh, and asset levels than most, uh, frequent traders in the markets, um, notwithstanding the last couple of, of weeks. So a couple of things though. Look, I love these arguments when people say, hey, we need payment for order flow or otherwise we're gonna go back to an explicit commission model, $9.99 trades. Well, cool, hang on a minute. Just something I wanna ask about. So we, again, hear that Robinhood gets what? Two-tenths of a penny in terms of payment for order flow on average. All right, well, I'll be really excited because I'm going to put in my hundred share order, a rare 100 share order for some of these apps. I'm going to put in a hundred share order and you know what? You can bill me a 20 cent commission, an explicit 20 cent commission. Cause that's what it would be, right? Two tenths of a penny. You want to know what? I also think that people wouldn't be too upset about that. So I don't understand how we have to go from two tenths of a penny uh, in payment for flow offsets all of the commission costs. And yet at the same time, uh, we, we say we have to go all of the way to $9 or $10 or $5, but we have reduced the friction. Absolutely. Uh, but I don't think that friction has to go from, uh, you know, a very, very conflicted two tenths of a penny to, uh, $10 to,
1: as an explicit cost to the consumer. Mm-hmm. What, uh, let me ask you a little bit about uh, about Dodd Frank because, as you said, you were heavily involved in, in doing that. There, there still are Dodd Frank rules that are uh, not have not been adopted at this point. Is there anything anything outside the equity space that you think people are maybe not focused on so much now that you think will become uh, uh, a a significant part of the SEC's agenda? Um, well,
2: yeah. So there's a couple of things, John. You alluded to this, and I'll just I'll just share. So there were two uh, poor saps who were the staff uh, who had to write the language, the textual language <laughs> for the bill, and I was one of them. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of us. It's a slightly larger group who were the unlucky people who had to draft the language of what would be called Title Seven or the derivatives Title of the Dodd Frank Act. I was unlucky enough to be in both roles um and so i have got i'm very very used to having my head kicked in about dodd frank both in terms of what it did do and what it didn't do uh by market participants and i apologize to your listeners in advance i'm sorry i I screwed up your business model and and made you incur many many dollars in legal fees um Mm -hmm. but i would say we'll edit out that part yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) but i would say but i would say um you know a couple of things right so there's executive compensation rules, I think, that are still outstanding um, for financial firms, mm-hmm. uh, clawbacks issues. I think we're going to see revisions yet again to the Volcker Rule. The SEC's swaps re- regulatory regime is still a bit of a mess. Um, and there are things like mandatory investor arbitration, You know, thinking about FINRA arbitrations, right. uh, as well as shareholder derivative arbitration. Those are all things that I think are our priorities that you know, are going to get snuck in. I don't think, for for example, I I don't think to chairman Gensler, and again, assuming he is confirmed soon, is likely to say any of that is number one on his list. I think you always have to deal with whatever rattlesnakes are closest to you. And he's got a lot with GameStop. He's got a lot with the fixed income markets uh, that he's going to have to wrestle with.
1: And and a lot of contentious issues, too. I mean, I think the assumption is he'll try to get unanimity to the extent that he can. But how 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 likely do you think uh, it is that he'll be able to get a consensus on a lot of these things?
2: Well, yeah, it's not just consensus within the commission. It's also consensus outside the commission, too. Right. Like we're going to see it's not just counting to three votes or counting to five votes within the commission. It's also are they going to get sued by private market participants? Are those suits going to win? And the SEC has proven historically terrible at defending its decisions to the DC Circuit. Um, the good news, I think, for a lot of people here, is Gary Gensler uniquely as a person has proven remarkably effective at defending the SEC or defending an agency, defended the CFTC against very, very, very hostile market participants. On extraordinarily partisan rules. Essentially, he is not a. Um, I don't think he's a fire breather on policy. What he is is extraordinarily politically courageous, but also very, very, very effective at getting shit done. So I don't think you know the SEC. There's going to be a lot of I think progressives who've been cheering for Gary Gensler who might be disappointed by how far he may go in terms of their uh, their goals. But in terms of getting a lot more done than frankly we've ever seen from this agency, I, I think there's a real chance we, that we have the man for the moment. Um, by the way, full disclosure: I think Allison Lee, thus far, has really, really, really stepped up to the plate. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm extraordinarily honored and proud to know her um, in a very short period of time. You know, we're seeing. Guidance, you know, SPAC mania has gone nuts. Um, it's not just been GameStop. We've got SPAC issues that Gary's going to have to deal with. The SEC's going to, she's stepped into that void. She's stepped into the climate issues. So um, I, I think we're going to see perhaps the most aggressive agenda from the SEC in my lifetime, one. And I, I also think that we're going to see it, you um, without sort of fear or favor, I would say this on our issues, on equity market structure, particularly payment for order flow. Mm -hmm. This is the moment, right? We've been talking about conflicted order routing practices for now well over 10 years. Um, The public has been talking about it since, you know, some famous author wrote some book that you guys might be familiar Mm with. But, you know, inside this world, it's been a really hot button issue for longer than that. And now we're either going to get this commission is going to address these problems or it's not. So one of the things I think, you know, the, the listeners of this, of this podcast are going to appreciate is you've got about three years now's the time if the institutional investors and the retail investors, and the broker dealers and the banks, if we, if we aren't mobilized as a community to say, we're going to stop some of these conflicted practices, we're going to make brokers actually act in their best interest as they're required to by the FINRA rules. We're going to kind of enforce those things for maybe the first time. If we're not going to do that, then it's not going to happen. I mean, this yeah. is, this is the chance you got three years um, after that, things can get clawed back and you never know what a new administration looks like.
1: Yeah, I I will say I'll, all that makes sense. I, I will say that I think in order to, if you're going to have reform to make it stick, you have to, uh, the SEC will have to be very clear about identifying uh, what the harm is and it's not enough to say there are conflicts. You have to say, identify what the harm is, back it up by data as much as possible and then clearly identify how whatever change you're arguing for will make things better, um, and uh, you know which is true with any regulatory reform. But uh, it, it it'll it 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 may still be a long road from here to there. All I'm saying.
2: Yeah. So we we fought like hell as did, as did our members as did you as did others for the transaction fee pilot. And at yeah. the end of the day, I was really by the time we got the transaction fee pilot. By the time it was proposed. Um, I was concerned that the moment had already passed. By then, we actually knew what the problems were. And this is exactly actually what ended up sinking the fee pilot in the DC circuit. Now we can agree or disagree as to whether or not the the DC circuit's logic was right. But what the commission did is they essentially said, we're not taking a position, but we're going to do this really big pilot. And the DC circuit was like, no, 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 you have to take a side here and you have to support the side you take. Um, you have to say, we believe there's a harm and here's what we think the harm is and here's how we're going to address it. And uh, they took that position with respect to a pilot as well. And mm-hmm. so from my perspective, we we shouldn't be asking for the pilot. By the way, the pilot's dead. Anybody who says they want to resurrect a pilot, I'm sorry, get out of here. Um, it, now <laughs> get exactly, the hell out of here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get, like, what are we talking about? We've spent 10 years. We know what the conflict of interest is. We know what the market structure is do it already defend it um and i think that's i'm cautiously optimistic that we have a we have a chair who or, or an incoming potential chair who uh, is willing to do that and by the way i think um you have a, a an acting chair right now who i think would be willing to do that too if she had the votes
1: yeah
0: Where, what's where's the process uh, stand right now for gensler and being voted in and how does that work just just for listeners who might not know this process please
2: Yeah, so a couple of things. So uh, the the first thing is you have to get nominated. Gary, he's been nominated before, he's been confirmed to the Senate before, and he's done that on a bipartisan basis before. So that usually makes things easier, right? Because Republicans have said before, yeah, this is an okay guy for a big and important government job. So that's one thing. Uh, Another thing is is you then go to, you get nominated, your paperwork, you know, what's your background, what's the stuff you've said out loud, you know, what kind of inflammatory things you might have done. Uh, Goes to the Senate Banking Committee and they review it. They ask you a bunch of questions. You meet with a bunch of members and they try to strong arm you into agreeing with them on stuff privately. And then you have a Senate Banking Committee hearing. He's already had that. Then you have a vote of the Senate Banking Committee. Um, he, the good news for his hearing is he was paired with someone by the name of Rohit Chopra, who is uh, nominated for uh, the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, extremely hot button political or agency yeah. because they do payday lenders. Um, they are the paternalistic organization dreamed up by, by among others, Elizabeth Warren. And so uh, that has always been a hot button position so for lack of a better phrase, people who wanted to vent on a political partisan basis were more likely to shoot at uh, Rohit than they were at Gary. And that, okay. in fact, played out. Uh, good for Gary, tough for Rohit. Um, <laughs> then we get to the, the Senate Banking Committee and they, they have the hearing. It's a wonderful hearing. It's one of the longest nomination hearings I've ever seen um that was informed in the financial services way they answered questions like you would want them to do but you almost never see and so he's answered those questions and after that they had a vote the other they actually had the vote on uh, on Wednesday the 10th and Rohit Chopra was tied dem and republican 12-12 um by committee rules that now can move forward to the uh floor and Gary Gensler was, uh, was passed 14 to 10. So you got, two, he got... two
1: Republican votes, which is like accounts, uh, accounts for bipartisan these days. Practically.
2: It not only accounts for bipartisan, it's like a landslide these days yeah. <laughs> uh, in the hyper politicized world of the United States Senate. And so what that means is it goes to the Senate floor for consideration that can get called up at any time. And my suspicion is we're gonna see it sooner rather than later in part because it's bipartisan and in part because everybody recognizes the SEC has a ton of stuff to do. The only thing I would say is, caveat to that is that when the commission is stalemated, some people are happy. As it turns out, there are mm. people who are occasionally happy when it's a two-two tie. The commission is not likely to adopt partisan rules for example, when that happens. So you might see a little bit longer of a delay And they wouldn't say it's to slow walk things. But, you know, if it takes another week or two or three or four, maybe that's one more rule that doesn't get adopted by a Gary Gensler-led SEC.
0: That's great. I I appreciate that context. And I think people listening will as well. We're actually recording this on uh, March 12th. So perhaps when this podcast is out, um, things will have changed. So 2021 really heating up to be something special, we hope, in the next three years. But the most important question, at least John Ramsey's most important question <laughs> that he can ever formulate on any and uh-huh. something we ask all our <laughs> podcast guests. And hopefully you were prepped for this tie, But uh-huh. let us know what your favorite Wall Street movie is and why, please.
2: Ooh, uh, I don't know if it counts as, as Wall Street, but trading places. <laughs> yes, um, it certainly I
0: can, does. It's great.
2: <laughs> and, I, and I, you know, and I, I all I can think of is as someone who began my, my career in insider trading cases, all I can think about is orange juice, man. It's my favorite. It's my <laughs> favorite juice. I love orange juice futures. Um, you know, let's, let's rock, let's rock the OJ. Um, but I, I, everything, everything about that movie is brilliant.
0: Yeah, no, it's a funny movie. It's a, it's a great movie and it's it's cool that you have a sort of tie in as to what you were doing right off the bat in your job. And then that movie being out <laughs> nice. And then John, you want, you want to let tie know? no one leaves this podcast without getting something. A Go special
1: jump. pair of IEX socks for all our guests. <laughs>
0: you, so we're going to send tell you me very, <laughs> yeah. Yes, we have our very own special boxes and line socks, and I say this all the time: they're wearable and they're comfortable. Every time I've mm-hmm. gotten vendor socks before. They're like fucking made of plastic shopping bags or something and they're unwearable. Yeah. You will like these socks and you will wear them mm-hmm. in good health and you will post absolutely. on You Twitter will wear how them, absolutely. How much we're like. gonna check. <laughs> yeah. We're, um, gonna, we're yeah. gonna check, but, but seriously, Ty, honestly, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the podcast. I think you're definitely a guest. We'd like to, to invite back um, You know when, when Gensler is in his role, when the new head of trading markets is here and see you know where, where things have progressed because we, we, we are optimistic for the next few years as well me too and thanks for having me guys i really appreciate it
1: thank you uh we will have you uh we will have you again and in- thank you
0: oh. <laughs> yes. Over. Okay. now. <laughs> we'll
1: edit that out listeners i'm really sorry <laughs> but seemingly
0: you guys like this shit Saxon accent have a great day everyone <laughs> thanks
1: and
2: opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational and educational purposes only. And IEX Group, Inc. and its affiliates do not make any representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Nothing in this podcast constitutes a solicitation or offer to buy or sell any securities or provide any investment advice or service. Some portions of the preceding conversations may have been edited for length or clarity. Copyright IEX Group, Inc. All rights reserved.